Have you ever felt like you're constantly putting out fires in your relationship while the other person stands and watches? How does this happen? And what part does gaslighting play in this dynamic? I'll unpack that in today's episode as my guest and I discuss how this played out in his intimate partnership. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast. I'm on mission to help as many people as I can find clarity, peace, and empowerment. The more I do this podcast, the more this is becoming my greatest passion. I'd love to help you. If you'd like to be on my podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and get on my calendar. I'll have the link in my show notes. I'm really excited for my guest today. Today, I'll be airing my first episode with a man as my guest. And not only is my guest a man, he's also my first organic international guest. And that really means a lot to me. That means the help that I'm doing is getting out there. It's getting more found, right? My first international guest was a colleague, right? Like she's from the UK, but I've known her for years. So this was organic. And that's very, very exciting to me. So who is this man? My guest today is Dave. Dave was born and raised in Ireland, but now lives in the UK. He's an EMT who loves his job and has developed close relationships with those he's out saving lives with. Dave likes to drink, as pretty much all good Irish men do, <laughs> and used to keep bees. And I found this fascinating. I love bees. It's a whole thing with me. Um, in fact, my wife has a tattoo on her arm where there's a bee and I'm the bee. So I love bees. And... Um, so that's the whole thing. And he actually used the honey from these bees to make honey wine, which I find fascinating. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Sarah. It's really nice to be here. Yay. I'm so excited. So y'all, um, Dave and I, I often do a 15 minute consultation call to like kind of prep people for um, the podcast and Dave and my 15 minute pod, um, preparation call ended up being like an hour conversation because he's just such a cool guy. I can't wait for y'all to get to know him a little bit. Um, our word of the day is responsibility. Dictionary.com defines responsibility as the state or fact of being responsible, answerable, or accountable for something within one's power control, or management. Now, I want to take a look at one more definition, and that's the definition of responsible, right? So if responsibility is the state of being responsible, well, what does responsible mean, right? So Oxford Languages defines responsible as being the primary cause of something and so able to be blamed or credited for it, right? So this can be both a positive or a negative thing, right? Like if something amazing happens and I'm a part of the team and I'm mostly responsible for it and I'm the primary cause of it, I get to take credit, right? Also, if I'm the one who messes up in something and I'm the primary cause of that being, you know, bad or hurtful or whatever, again, I get to take credit for it, right? So there are a number of ways someone can use gaslighting tactics or techniques to avoid taking responsibility for any number of things, like DARVO, which I talked about early on in my podcast. Uh, as we dive into Dave's story, we're going to see a very clear picture of how his partner used gaslighting to paint himself as the victim in an attempt to pretty much never have to take on any responsibility. So Dave, let's dig into your story. And um, before we get into some of the gaslighting um, parts of the story, you know, I, I'd love to 
let my listeners um, get to know you just a little bit. Um, so I know your Irish culture makes it difficult for you to take compliments, but I was sincere, y'all, when I told this man at the end of our hour thing, I'm like, if we lived close together, we'd totally be mates. Like we would hang out and we'd, you know, talk and, you know, whatever, like just an incredible guy. So um, I'd like for my listeners to get a feel for who you are. Will you share with us a little bit about yourself? Just like maybe a little bit about your upbringing and kind of pre-moving to the UK? It's brilliant to be on the podcast. And thank you for um, accepting, you know, messaging me when I reached out to you. Um, growing up in Ireland, my mum my mom fostered um, lots of kids, um, you know, kids with um, lots of problems. And, and I developed a real caring, loving, compassionate mm. For seeing these people in such mm-hmm. a such a difficult position, mm-hmm. but you know me being the average uh, antisocial teenager I was, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I was like, well, you know, what's the best way I can get away from people? Mm-hmm. As a result, I ended up getting a degree in computing science. Okay, becoming <laughs> a pro- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I ended up becoming a programmer. What's more antisocial than that? I suppose. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I went through a change. Um, while I was in university of starting to realize that I was actually more of a social person than I wanted to admit. Mm. And I really cared for people. And as a result, I, I, I did a bit of time in the industry I worked, but I moved away from that. And mm-hmm. I ended up, I ended up just kind of falling into medicine, if nothing okay. else. Um, I did a bit of time with some voluntary organizations, um, realized, you know what, actually, this is my passion. This is what I love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I worked I worked in the pre-hospital care setting, and I qualified as an EMT. And then, uh, you know, I have a more personal story because I'm Irish, but I'm also gay. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely tough for me. My family is a very go-get-em kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is very opinionated, which Irish families usually are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, this was a, a a bit of a paradox for me. And for a mm-hmm. very long time in my life, I couldn't accept who I was. I, I initially denied it. It wasn't mm-hmm. me. It was a phase I was going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I got to a stage of being like, yeah, okay, I'm gay. But you mm-hmm. know what? I'm just going to live life in the closet. I'm I'm mm. I'm not going to address it. I'm not going to And what that does is that that niggles, that gnaws at you. That that takes yeah. away your confidence, that takes yeah. away yourself or uh, your sense of self. Yep. And it just really I've been on an amazing journey in my life. I've done some absolutely wonderful things. Not that I'm allowed to admit it, of course, because you're never allowed in <laughs> in Ireland. You're never allowed to take credit for your actions because mm. dare he take credit? Other people can say about you, but dare you say mm-hmm. it? So I decided for two major reasons I was going to move to the United Kingdom. One was career progression. The ambulance service in Ireland is it's a quieter country. There's less people there. It's not under the same kind of pressure, and as a result, progression moves slower. Mm. In the UK, you know, you can become uh, an, an EMT, an EMT advanced. You can be, and I'm using American terminology for your listeners, mm-hmm. or for, for for us, I should say, rather than your listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, and then you be, can become a specialized EMT, whereby okay. you can prescribe medications, oh. and then eventually, through progression, you can end up becoming, um, you can get a PhD and, and nice. end up becoming a, a doctor. And I'm not talking about like 
you know, um, I'm not talking about like an emergency room doctor. I'm talking mm -hmm. about like maybe a mental health doctor or sure. geriatric care, which is care of the elderly or various mm -hmm. different things. So one of the reasons I moved was to progress my career, to continue moving forward yeah. and to do what I love doing and that passion of helping people and making a difference in people's lives. I arrive, I arrive at the scene of a, a catastrophe, for example, or so, just grandma's really sick or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks to themselves, thank God the ambulance is here. Mm -hmm. Okay, we think, shit, let's get them to hospital as quick as we can. And then <laughs> when we arrive to hospital, it's like, thank God we're at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the point is, though, they will remember that. And mm -hmm. that is you know, your actions or what you do. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not only that, it's like you get called out to people who think they're really sick, but maybe they're not as sick as they are. You mm -hmm. know, it's not like quick, get them in the back of the ambulance, run to hospital as fast as can. Mm -hmm. I like to use um, jovial ways of breaking down that formality, making people feel at ease about mm -hmm. themselves. And just, <laughs> and just helping people to I suppose, see the less serious side of things, because there's always a less serious side. There's always a reason to have a laugh. There's always a reason to chuckle and smile. Mm. The other reason I moved over was because whilst Ireland is the first country in the world to vote gay marriage into being, mm. rather than it coming through a monarchy or a government where you vote, where you vote in the politicians and then they choose, yeah. we held a referendum. Okay. And it was the first country to actively change their, their constitution to allow gay marriage. Nice. However, <laughs> I find that mm -hmm. the Irish culture is one of tolerance rather than acceptance. Okay. The UK is much more progressive in that manner. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be able to live my life being who I am. Yeah. And that's a bit about my background. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And... I can connect with quite a bit of that, right? Like, um, just th there are parts, there are pockets in the U S that are both, both either one of those, you know, take your pick, <laughs> you're going to experience either one. And, you know, there are definitely assessments that, you know, my wife and I have to make, um, different places that we might travel, whether how much, you know, PDA we're going to, um, allow ourselves to have. Right. And like, um, things that I used to like not even consider, um, in my first marriage, right. Um, where it's, is it safe to walk down the street and hold the the person that I love their hand? Um, so I get, I get wanting to move for that, uh, makes a lot of sense. It's one of the reasons why I love where I live in Austin. It's, it's one of the most, um, vibrant LGBTQ communities in the country. So I love where I live for that reason, for many reasons, but that's definitely one of them. Um, so you're an, story has a number of <laughs> twists and turns in my opinion. And um, what I thought would be great to do to kind of give, you know, the people listening uh, a, a good synopsis is to kind of start with the early part of your relationship. Um, and hindsight being kind of 2020, when would you say you think the problems first started? Um, on reflection, I think the problems were always kind of there. Mm -hmm. um, I think they were much less at the time when I first met him and started going out with him, mm -hmm. and they progressed moving forward. Um, I remember mm, within the first six to 12 months of our relationship, stuff that he'd said to me that would leave me absolutely devastated, feeling mm -hmm. that I wasn't good enough to be in this relationship, that 
I was just not good enough as a person. Mm. I was not good to be in a relationship with. I was so inept and mm -hmm. blind and almost like childish in the way that I handled my emotions. Mm. Well, that's the way I viewed it. Yeah. And yeah, so um, the issues were always there, but as as gaslighting is, it it progresses and it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Initially, when I started, I would often stand up for myself and argue the point, and 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 then keep arguing the point. He very early in our relationship, um, and thinking back on it, I, I wonder how he managed to do it. It was to convince me that he does not tell lies. Mm -hmm. He absolutely does not lie. Mm -hmm. And you know, my partner is. Um, a reasonable amount younger than me. He's nine years younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd be talking to a work colleague and a work colleague would ask how old he is. And just from general embarrassment, it, it's it's not the same in the LGBTQ community. And he is a lot he is a lot more mature in certain ways, I will say in certain mm -hmm. ways. But I would maybe knock or add a year onto his life just so that it didn't look okay. quite as bad as it was. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it was more mm -hmm. just my embarrassment rather than you, you know that I was embarrassed of him. Right. Um, right. No, I get, I get you, one hundred percent. So mm -hmm. I would be in work and I'd be like, oh yeah, he's like, he's like eight years younger than me or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd go home and I'd just bring this in, up in conversation, and he would get so angry with me for lying. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and 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 it was through this process that he convinced me he doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. uh, well, did convince me he didn't lie. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, that eventually came to the realization that he was lying. Yeah, but yeah, so so that was kind of wh where my relationship ship started to to tumble and and go downhill. Mm -hmm. Initially, when we talked in our kind of consultation call, um, you know, you were sharing with me about just the very beginning of the relationship. And when you first started asking, you know, can we be exclusive, basically, right? Um, I think you use the the phrase, you know, to be in a, a relationship, right? And I would just use the word exclusive, because I think that's what that I think that's what you meant, basically, right? Like a does that makes am I am I accurate on that? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and and it's like right away, and and for a, a sounds like a, a bit of time, he really gave you a runaround around that. Mm, Can you go into yes, that story very, a little bit much. for us? Absolutely. So I'm I'm I met this guy online, mm -hmm. um, and as as I feel that all um, homosexual relationships seem to begin these days. <laughs> um, and we were, you know, we were seeing each other for like, I want to say a month or so, give or take, uh, maybe two months. And I said to him, you know, I really like you. I'd like to make this a, an exclusive thing. I'd like to be in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, well, um, there's kind of another guy that I am seeing and I'm not ready to just cut ties with him. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I can't, I can't say yes, I'm committing to you because I haven't decided that I am and, and I haven't decided it's fair on him. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, I understood that. Sure. I, I, I got his situation mm -hmm. and I was like, well, let's see as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And time went on and time went on. And he'd see this guy maybe once every three to five weeks. And um, like he'd be like, oh, you know, this guy's coming down for the weekend. Um, you you can work the weekend now. Um, and I'd be like, e each time it gnawed and gritted at mm -hmm. me. Um, so this went on. Um, and on and on and on. And, you know, once I said to him, like, you know, I want to be in a relationship with you and I want you to make a choice as to whether you want to be in a relationship with me. Yeah. And he was like, 
Uh, this is like, let's say, Wednesday. And he was like, well, don't ask me now. The guy's coming down on the weekend, and that'll just make it really awkward. Ask me after the weekend. Wow. <laughs> okay. So I was like, I was like, uh, no, no, now for me, I'm taking like positive signs from this. Mm. You know, I'm taking like, okay, don't ask me now. It's awkward. Ask me after the weekend. Okay, there's a good chance he's going to say yes here. But, you, you know, so I asked him on the Monday when I seen him again. And on the Monday, he's like, oh, no, I, I really can't commit. I, I really can't. I, I also care about this guy. And I'm thinking, what the fuck just happened? Mm -hmm. um, so as I said, this went on um, and to the point where, um, you know, I, I started to get a little bit concerned Um he was not taking my calls while he was seeing this other guy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty, no, yeah. So what happened was he then eventually agreed to be in a relationship with me. It was actually the, um, it was over the weekend. It was a Saturday evening because I had been agonizing with myself over the weekend. And I had decided that when I seen, I seen him on the Sunday night, I was going to break it up. Yeah. Because if he couldn't commit to the relationship, then I shouldn't commit yeah. to the relationship. Um, so I decided right on Sunday when I see him, that's it. Enough is enough. I'm done feeling the way I'm feeling. On Saturday evening, I got a phone call from him saying, please come over. I want to have a chat with you. And he explained that he broke up with this guy, officially ended it, mm -hmm. uh, wanted to be in a relationship with me, mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on. Of course, I, you know, for me, this, this was brilliant. Yeah. I was really happy and very similar things. As time went on, though, he kept seeing this guy. Yeah. and you know, convincing me, oh, you know, there's nothing sexual going on, you, you know, the, 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 and I believe him, mm -hmm. and I'd still believe him, that there was nothing sexual going on. However, ultimately, he was emotionally attached to this guy. Mm -hmm. And what I try to explain to him is, that guy is also emotionally attached, attached to you. You have broken up with him, but he still wants to see you. He still cares about you. He still loves you in his view. Mm -hmm. And he's then avoiding taking calls from me or replying to my text messages. And I still have to leave when this guy comes to stay for the weekend. Yeah. Super and I'm shady. Like, uh, something's not, yeah, yeah something's shady. not adding up Super here. Shady. You know, <laughs> while I, yeah, while I believe what he is saying, mm -hmm. I am not feeling that. Mm -hmm. And his actions are not leading me to feel that either. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to skip through a little bit because this went on for quite a while. This went on for like, I want to say about eight months okay. in total, maybe longer. Um, so I got to a stage of saying, no, absolutely enough is enough. Yeah. This stops. Yep. I'm not demanding that you stop this. I am telling you that this is what I require. I require yes. this to stop because this is a form of, of betrayal. Yep. Good for you. Nothing, you know, you have said that you have stopped a relationship with him, in his mind, obviously sexual, mm -hmm. but I don't feel that that relationship has actually stopped. Mm -hmm. So I, I totally flat out refused that guy going there. I said, you know, this will be the end of our relationship. I am not willing to continue. Um, we ended up going away on holiday together. Um, we got back. He then told me that... Um, oh, uh, th this guy wants to come and stay. Um, is is that all right? And I was like, no, we've already had this conversation. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. we've already had, but I actually was like, I am not having a conversation with you about this. Mm -hmm. We've already had this conversation. You firmly know where I stand on mm -hmm. this. I will not have this conversation with you about it. Mm -hmm. And looking back with reflection, 
I was not allowing him to gaslight me by having a conversation. Yeah. I was just stopping the conversation. Um, Obviously, he'd never told the other guy that I then flat out refused until a few days before. Um, Shit hit the fan for him. Mm -hmm. And then... This guy wanted to know who, you know, he he wanted to meet me. He wanted to mm-hmm. to, to 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 know who this guy was who was demanding that he doesn't come down and why he wasn't coming down. Yeah. Obviously, looking back, I can see that now. Um, the first time I met this guy, my partner um, used it as an opportunity to embarrass me. Mm. Um, the second time I met this guy, this guy had the foresight to be like, "No, I want to meet him on my mm-hmm. own. I don't want my par- I don't want you know David's partner around." Yeah, we had a really really good chat. And he, my partner had never given him a reason as to why he broke up with him. Mm -hmm. He just ended Mm -hmm. it without any reason, without any explanation, which I personally do not think is fair in any relationship. Um, Even if the reason is you are an arsehole Mm -hmm. and I want nothing to do (laughs) with you. That is still a reason. (laughs) Albeit maybe doesn't make sense, but it is still a reason. Right. Um, he wasn't aware of me. I had asked my partner on multiple occasions, does this guy know I, who I exist? And, and and I had been told yes. And he did not. Mm-hmm. He, he was not aware of me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, after, obviously, they had had a conversation regarding me when I brought it to a head, um, he, I had been, or he had been told that I was just a rebound. Mm-hmm. That I didn't matter, I wasn't important. Um, all the things that you would expect somebody who is lying out of their ass yeah. to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a really good conversation with this guy, and this guy really told me some hurtful things mm-hmm. potentially that my partner had done. Mm-hmm. So we went back. We went back to the house with uh, me and and his my partner's friend um, with the intention of resolving it, clearing the air, having discussion about it, and fixing it and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, to which my partner seemed to totally just flip out yeah. on that stage, and and that's that's a whole mental health story in and of itself mm-hmm. that ended up in in six months of recovery and various different things. Um, after that, when things started to get better, um, my partner's friend wanted to come down and stay the weekend and wanted me to leave again, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. I was like, with all due respect, yes, I do know you, yes, I do know how much you care about my partner, however. I am not emotionally in a position to feel comfortable with that. Yeah. That is going to, when I get to know you better, then I, I I'll allow it. But as it stands, no. Number one, I'm living with my partner. Mm-hmm. And number two, I'm not emotionally comfortable with that happening. Yeah. He he accused my partner's friend accused me of being controlling and manipulative. Oh wow. So you mentioned um that your um, partner went into kind of rehab or, you know, treatment for about six months. And then I know in our call, you told me that when he came out, he was like a different person. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So when he came out, I felt like somebody had found his big red reset button and pressed Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, it, so he had a psychotic episode and received treatment for that. And of course, the natural thing when you come out of that is you're going to be very timid. You're going to be more introverted. You're not going to have your voice. And I get that. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. And we worked through that. And that process mm-hmm. took about, I want to say about three to eight to nine months. Okay. Um, and he started to get his voice back. And, you know, things started to return to a different normal. 
mm. where we would have a laugh and we would have a joke and you know it, it was just a really good time i just felt yeah. like somebody pressed this reset button yeah i make up that was really confusing i know um it- I hear, I often hear my clients talk about how uh, they don't know which person that they're experiencing is like the real person, right? Is it, is it this one that I can laugh with and I can, you know, all this kind of stuff, or is it this person that treats me like shit, (laughs) right? Like in gaslights me, like which one, because in the moment that I'm experiencing that person, like it feels like that's the person, right? But then when I'm experiencing this, like, and it's just super confusing. Does that connect? Does that relate to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know which person was the real person. I don't know whether the, what I feel to be the hellish experience and the experiences that I've been going through, or whether Mm -hmm. that reset, as as I phrase it, is the normal person. Yeah. I'm sure they're a mixture of both. However, when you yeah. look at it, you you just have absolutely no idea. Yeah. So um, after, so treatment was how long ago? So treatment, I want to say it was um, uh, two and a half years ago. It ended, I want to say. So this whole situation kind of happened about three years ago, lasting mm. eight, let's say eight to 12 months. So that while you're talking two years ago, then that. He was okay. what would be considered recovered. Yeah. But since treatment, there still has, has been, even though maybe he hasn't had a full-on psychotic episode, there has been a lot of dysfunction or um, unhealthy behaviors in the relationship. And um, I would love to, to kind of go into some of the patterns that you've seen. Like you did a really good job, um, explaining some of those things. And, um, because for me, one of the things I'm wanting to point out in both to you and to my listeners is the way that Mike, um, really avoided taking responsibility for things. And so I'm wondering if you would start by sharing some of the criticisms that, uh, Mike often voice because for me, while this isn't victim behavior, it's actually the bully behavior. <laughs> it's it's an important piece of the puzzle when we look at the big picture of how Mike used gaslighting to criticize you and then make himself look like the victim in order to avoid taking responsibility for both his actions and the things he was um, the way that you felt because of the things he was doing right like he avoided taking responsibility for both yeah yeah, Um, absolutely so so what were some of those criticisms so well and to be honest the generalized criticisms are numerous and i could fill a book full of them however there were specific criticisms that would recur over and over again okay and Obviously, this is getting me to believe that these criticisms um, exactly. So mm-hmm. the 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 one that I found to be the most at the core of what the criticism criticism is. I'm just going to summarize it up into something he would say because immediately yep. everyone will understand it. Okay, you don't listen to me. Mm-hmm. You don't remember what I have said. I have tried to have these conversations with you before. You don't mm-hmm. listen. You don't remember. You don't mm-hmm. value me enough to remember the conversations we've had. Mm-hmm. And then it will lead to something along the lines of you're inept or you don't have the ability to remember what I have said. Is there something wrong with you? Do you have a processing disorder? Wow. Okay. Why don't mm-hmm. you remember what I've said? 
we will have a conversation that would go on for uh, God knows how long until eventually I broke down and accepted it. But in mm -hmm. that conversation, it will be, I did not say that. You do not remember what I said word for word. You should remember what I said for word for word mm -hmm. because this is important and it is your responsibility to remember what I said. Mm -hmm. And you just don't care enough. That's the victim part. Right. Like if he didn't add in the you don't care enough part, well, then he'd just be a fucking bully. Right. Like who's just being mean. But but the particular way that he continued to to twist things is mm -hmm. he would tag on at the end there. You know, you do all these things because I'm not important enough to you. Right. Like yeah, you do these things or or even. I do these things. I know in your typed up notes that you gave me, um, you told me that he would say things like, you, Dave, left me no choice. Yeah, right? yeah. So because... I'll, I'll, I'll go into that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, go into that, So, please, so let, I'm just going to quickly fly through an example because I'm acutely please. aware of time. Um, but So let's say, for example, and this is a real example of something that happened just several weeks ago, is okay. that um, I found myself doing a lot of the housework. No, mm -hmm. I'd found myself doing all of the housework. I'd found myself doing the laundry. I'd found myself doing the cooking. I'd find myself mm -hmm. everything. And it just felt like I wasn't getting any help from him whatsoever. I mean, yeah. literally, he was sat there watching me doing it at times. Mm -hmm. And I think from an emotional point of view, you're just like, oh, shit, I should get up and help this person. If right. nothing else, just because I feel bad. <laughs> it just I feel bad sitting here and just... Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so I had had a particularly bad day at work. I had mm. had three hours before a night's sleep because I was up early. And I go from nights to early, so, it, so it's really difficult. Mm. I had gotten up at 4 a.m., gone to work at 6, didn't finish until 6 p.m., 5.30, 6 p.m. because I'd overran because basically a guy had died and we had to do CPR. It was mm. a hard, hard day. Yeah. Um, I got home and I'm like, I am exhausted. I'm yeah. going to bed. I'm going to sleep. Give me an hour and a half. So I had an hour and a half. I got up. Um, I had taken some painkillers because doing CPR and doing that kind of work, it's physically very straining. Okay. I had said, I'm, I'd, I'd walked out of the room. And as I walked out of the room, I said, I'm just going into the sitting room to take some painkillers. And when they kick in, I'm going to do dinner. Mm -hmm. um, so I went in and I started making from scratch chicken Kiev, which is mm -hmm. a pretty worky dish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he sat there on his phone um, the whole time mm -hmm. and listen, listened to me making dinner. And he walked in towards the end of it. Um, and I'd said to him, why didn't you come in and help? What was the reason why you didn't come in and help? Mm -hmm. And it was, I have told you in the past about planning your meals. Mm -hmm. Now, just... What he had told me in the past was that I need to plan my meals because I'm the kind of person, I don't really care. I'll get home mm. from work. I'm tired. I'll go and open the fridge and be like, yeah, what the hell can I make? Oh, yeah, yeah. that looks good. Let's <laughs> uh -huh. throw on a bit of pasta. Add a bit of tuna. It's sure. done. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so it was about me not making, I'm not planning. Um, mm. He twisted that to, I have told you to plan meals. You should be planning meals. You have planned a meal that is too big for when you are tired, and you shouldn't do that. I felt obliged to come in and help you, and I decided not to because you need to learn. I have tried to talk to you about this before. I have brought this up about. Um, I've brought this up to you before. You don't listen to me, and as a result, you have left me no choice but to not come in and help you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, where do I go from there? 
Right. Right. Yeah. That's that twisting, right? That's that, that combining of that kind of really just, you know, outright kind of bullying behavior with, well, you gave me no choice to be an asshole, (laughs) right? Like it's, you know, if you would, if you would listen to me, like poor me, you're not listening to me. And so I have to do this hard thing of sitting on my ass and being on my phone while you slave away cooking for me, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) you know, I was trying to be sympathetic in the moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, have you been doing loads of work online that you're tired and you just didn't? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Oh, have you have you had a bad day? You know, mentally, your Mm headspace is it just bad? Did you not have the Mm -hmm. energy? He's like, no. I was like, were you asleep? I'm like, I'm almost grasping (laughs) at straws here for reasons as to why. But no, no, none of those whatsoever. Yeah. And then to find out that not only was it none of those things, but I mean, if you sum up, it's like, I did this to you to teach you a lesson because you're not doing what I'm telling you that you should do. Yeah. You've left me no choice but to teach you a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You know know what phrase comes to mind, you know, and everyone knows that it's not you, it's me. I'm sorry. We're not going to work. (laughs) I really feel with him. It's, it's not me. It's you. It's you. Yeah. It's yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, it's not me, it's you. Yeah. Um, and that's what I feel is his is his narrative on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty poignant. Uh well, you know, what I love to do is take some of what we've been hearing and put it into the deconstruction zone. Unless you have anything else, any other stories or examples you feel would be pertinent to share um to give my listeners a little more context. Honestly, I could sit here for about six hours going through stories. I've got many of them. And yeah. I, I, while I believe that it would be incredibly insightful to everyone, um, mm. probably including me talking about it, I don't, believe <laughs> right. they, I don't believe that they would physically have the will or the stamina to listen to a podcast mm. that long, right. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, there are so many stories. But the central theme of that is, mm. um, it's, it's your fault. I did not say that. Um, you're accusing me of something that I never said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just keeps going around and around in circles. So what I was thinking we could do uh, for one more kind of example so that the listeners can really get this kind of uh, victim twisting that you have experienced is um, the the dynamic that would happen whenever Mike did something hurtful to you. And then you would go and and have your response and talk to him. You want to talk to my listeners a little bit about that pattern that you've unpacked? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the easiest thing is just to continue the example I gave because okay. that did leave, lead to a conversation. Um, yeah. So, you know, during that conversation, I also expressed that I felt like um, I was the host and he was acting like mm-hmm. a guest not helping mm-hmm. around the house, not just pitching in, not doing the little things that would just make my time a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so his, so what would happen is we would have to sit down. We would, so we will sit down and have a conversation. But there's no time frame on this conversation. There's no length of this conversation. This conversation will go on as long as it needs to go on. Mm-hmm. To him, it becomes a point-by-point play of... Mm-hmm. Let's break this down into every single step. And I say that in a monotone voice because that is really how it feels. After about 40 minutes of this, you're absolutely exhausted mentally. Mm. Um, Which, to be honest, thinking about the fact that I don't remember what he says word for word wouldn't surprise me because I'm so physically exhausted from going through and trying to address everything he's saying. Um, 
so so it gets broken down into every single step and it just goes on and on and on and there's no end to this there's, it, it does not end um so with regards to the not helping me around the house uh not cleaning his thing was that i um i clean up really quickly so i'll cook dinner i'll sit down i'll have food and i'll i'll tidy it up i'll put it in the dishwasher it's clean it's done and mm-hmm. the reason i do that is because i know that if i don't do it i'm less likely to do it mm-hmm. and then it's more mm-hmm. likely to be there the next day maybe mm-hmm. or the plates will be on the countertop like we have a dishwasher it's not even that hard really right um um but anyway so I clean up too quickly, and and my partner likes to slow things down, leave things there for as long as needed until he's in the mood to clean them up. So it was my fault he wasn't cleaning because I wasn't giving him the opportunity to clean. Mm, mm-hmm. you see? Um, so yeah, that that's that's leading on directly to the example of 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 what. Um, now, if I don't accept that. And I stand up for myself and I say, no, that's Mm -hmm. not true. That's inaccurate. Then he will accuse me of not understanding him, not, Mm. not, not viewing it from his point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, the, the, the conversation would go on and on and on and he would not furnish an apology. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Um, I don't like to use the word apology because apology is too formal of a word. I like to use the word <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, for me, sorry is if I have done something to upset and hurt you, mm-hmm. then I'm saying sorry because I'm recognizing that my actions have caused you hurt. They mm-hmm. have led to a feeling that is a non-desired feeling in somebody that I really love and I care about. Yeah. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that I've caused you this hurt. It, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was intentional. I'm not. I'm not right. standing up and being like, "I did this," and I'm, you know, I'm. No, I'm. I've I've hurt you, and I'm yeah. I've caused that hurt, and I'm really sorry. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've triggered you. You know, everyone has emotional trauma or trauma from mm-hmm. the past, and maybe I've triggered you, and that wasn't my intent. I need to be more aware of that moving forward. And I'm not saying I will be. I'm saying I will try to be. Right, and it opens the dialogue, but it also validates that person's feelings. It yeah. says, you know, what you're feeling is real, it's justifiable, and it's okay that you're feeling that. Mm-hmm. So I'll apologize, and that's why I apologize. Um, his view is, and it, it it's technically right from a psychiatric or a psychologist's point of view of nobody is responsible for making you feel the way you feel except yourself. Mm-hmm. So I have nothing to apologize for because I'm not responsible. Yeah. I have done nothing wrong. And you have felt this way. And that's your fault, not mine. I'm not apologizing for it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, as this conversation went on, and I am physically exhausted here, and dare not stop the conversation and walk away because he would say things like, do you know how damaging this is to our relationship if you just get up and walk away? Because mm. you will come back and you're, you might walk away and think on things. And when you come back, you'll forget a lot of things that we talked about. And then they won't be addressed. They won't be picked up. And that is so damaging because I will be left thinking, do you just not remember? Or do you not care to address the things that we talked about? So I would be stuck in this conversation until it was finished. 
Mm. And then I, you know, I would offer an apology. I would say, look, I'm really, really sorry. You know, moving forward, I'll try to be more considerate, you know, that, you know, that of your frustration and mm. your annoyance and your various different things. And he'd be like, I want to know exactly what you're apologizing for. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, uh, he'd be like, well, what else are you apologizing for? And I'd be like, well, I'm apologizing for this. And well, no, but what else are you apologizing for? I want you to go through it step by step. Wow. Exactly what are you apologizing for? And I'm thinking, and I'm sat there, and, and I apologize for my language, but I'm sat there thinking, fuck me. <laughs> I've got to apologize for absolutely everything. I've got to recognize every single thing that he has construed in this conversation mm-hmm. And yet he won't even offer me the simplest of apologies, which is, mm. I sat there, I listened to you make food, I knew you were absolutely exhausted and had a terrible day in work, I knew all of this, but I chose not to come and help you. And I, uh, and he not offering an apology for sitting there on his phone, listening to me make him dinner as well, not just me. Right. And, Yeah. And, and and it's like, what the hell? You just walk away so infuriated, but you yeah. also drop the conversation because you know that if you don't drop the conversation, it will just get worse. Yeah. I know a lot of my listeners will relate to that dynamic for sure. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and take this into the deconstruction zone? So today we've been talking a lot about the victim role and how most often the victim will not discuss or take responsibility for their own faults, right? So we just we just saw that in a brilliant example, right? Where it's all about you. I'm not responsible for the way that you feel, which I have a whole thing about that. Actually, I'm going to say something about that real quick in this deconstruction zone area. The way that if, if we're really going to get nitpicky about it, yes, I am not responsible for anybody else's feelings. However, I am responsible for the opportunity that they have to feel that feeling, <laughs> right? Does that does that make sense? Like if, if I say something beautiful and kind and lovely, I'm giving you an opportunity to feel certain feelings. Now you're responsible for what you think about what I say. You're responsible for the narrative, for the feelings that come for that, from that narrative, et cetera. I'm responsible for the opportunity that I gave you for those good feelings. It's the same with perceived negative feelings. If I say something mean, if I am not being empathetic, if I am whatever the thing is, I am presenting you with an opportunity to think certain things, to have your narrative, and therefore have your feelings about what I just said. So we're not devoid of any ability to say, you know what, I can see how kind of like you said, even though my intent was not for you to think that or to have that narrative, I can see how what I said presented you with the opportunity to see that and to think that and to have that narrative. And it makes sense to me that because that's what you thought, that's how you would feel, even if that's not what I meant, right? Being able to separate that out is so crucial um, because otherwise people will, they'll just be, um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, almost kind of an ignoring of of their part in the play, so to speak, right? Um, and, and you just can't heal and mend relationships if people, you can't have a healthy relationship, in my opinion, if you cannot make that connection with anybody, let alone an intimate partner. So um, going back to talking about the victim role, that's one of the things that 
people that are in the victim role tend to do. Um, people that are in the victim role, I'm going to describe a couple more things um, in this deconstruction zone to give y- y'all, my listeners, a picture of what the victim sounds like and feels like when you're interacting with them, right? So we already talked about how they w- don't take um, take responsibility for their own faults. Often they won't even discuss their own faults. Um, another thing that we'll see, and I feel like we saw this in a lot of the examples that Dave gave us about Mike, is that they tend to be really highly self-centered, right? Like every scenario, every situation revolves around them and how it impacts them, how they think about it, what their perception is about it, what their needs are in that, like it's, it revolves around them. Right. So, um, I think a really great way, and again, I don't know if you said this in earlier, but in the notes, when you were talking about this situation where Mike was playing both you and this other guy, right. Um, when y'all got together to, to kind of, be like, hey, we need this, this needs to stop and we need to figure this out and clear this up so that we all can have peace about this, right? Like, and no duplicity and no hiddenness and all of these types of things that, you know, Mike turned around and accused you and this other guy of not considering his feelings, right? Again, it's this turning around about everything revolves around me and how my feelings aren't good and I'm being hurt by what you did. And it's, it's a complete lack of taking any responsibility or maybe even awareness of how their behaviors, words, et cetera, are impacting the other people. Okay. And then the last thing that I do want to point out about the victim uh, role is the person that is in the victim role tends to appeal to or rely upon or prey upon other people's compassion and empathy, right? The victim role doesn't work (laughs) nearly as well if they're not good at that, right? So they're often able to phrase things or paint a picture of a story in such a way that it often hooks people's compassion or empathy, okay? So this is where, um, by the way, Dave, where it sounds like you have been doing some good work, right? Like you're you're recognizing where you need, need to take stands in your relationship and not um, make concessions and be like, no, I require this. I require, you know, monogamy. I require commitment. I require you to work on your empathy. You know, like these things are getting, I, I hear you doing some good work in that. When we are highly empathetic, when we are compassionate, and a lot of us in the working, um, the caring how I want to say this, a lot of us in the helping professions, right? So coaches, therapists, EMT people, right? Like nurses, I have a bunch of nurses that are my clients, right? Like we have high empathy. And so we have to be really careful about people who might be in a victim role, taking advantage of and preying upon our empathy, right? So I would love to encourage you, Dave, to continue to be diligent as you're trying to sort stuff out with your partner and decide whether or not you want to stay with him. Um, Be diligent and paying attention to the concessions that you make might make because of that compassion and empathy. All right. We often stay in unhealthy relationships because of these concessions. So, um, uh, that's something that I would say when we're looking at our vulnerabilities, that's when we re- really want to pay attention to mm-hmm. when we're with somebody who's really good at being the victim. All right. Um, I would like to point out that most people don't stay in one role. Okay. In my in my 12-week program, I, I teach five different roles that people kind of move in and out of. And um, they more often than not overlap. 
Okay. Um, and just for your benefit, um, Dave, I would, I would name Mike as vacillating between all of the roles, to be honest. Um, except for maybe I didn't, I didn't hear this very much in your story. That doesn't mean it's not there. You might, you just might not have told me about these parts. Um, the romancer. Um, so I'm not sure if he's somebody who did love bombings. No. Okay. So good. <laughs> you guys can't see him, but Dave's shaking his head. No, no right? absolutely okay. not. He, <laughs> okay. I felt he would withhold affection as a form yeah. of control. Right. Which is the bully, which is one of the things I definitely saw in him. He has a number of, of the bully, um, role kind of tactics and, and things. So, um, so, you know, again, just really paying attention to the victim, um, and the, the victim kind of mentality that, that diversion, right. We are, we've talked about Darvo before, and this is just another facet of kind of connecting with what the victim can sound like and feel like and why we might be susceptible to that. So let's end with a little bit of encouragement. Dave, is there anything you would like to say to my listeners? Yes, absolutely. And being aware that I'm in this situation and I'm going through this, what I would like to say to people is life is short. Mm. You only get to live it once. And if you're in a relationship that is similar to mine, and no matter how much you try to think through it, your heart, your your gut is still saying this isn't working. I'm, you know, I'm at fault or, you know, this is my problem. Then probably that relationship is not going to be good for you. And, you know, one day when it ends, and you look back at it and you think, why the hell am I staying it for so long? Mm. Life is short. Live and love. Be happy and laugh. And do that because it's important for your health. And mm. you will find somebody else. You are not stuck with this person. You're not stuck with this person that is currently your person. There's always somebody else out there for you. Thank you, Dave. All right, let's move into setting our alarm. So Gaslighting crosses gender, orientation, and every type of relationship, meaning it can be parent to child, friend to friend, intimate partner to intimate partner, etc. right? If you related to what David experienced in his intimate partnership and any of these dynamics, and you want to be more awake to what's happening in your relationship, here's how you can set your alarm. In addition to keeping an eye out for Darvo, which is when your gaslighter reverses things directly back to you, right? There are more things that we can see. Pay attention to these two things in particular. Number one, if you're not to blame for things, they blame anyone else they can. Their parents, the dog, you know, their teacher, <laughs> their, their boss, whoever it might be, but they are always in conjunction with blaming someone else. They're always painting themselves as the victim of the story, right? They're trying to hook your empathy and compassion. Okay. So look for that. And then in uh, addition to that, the second thing to look for is that they never see or own up to their part, okay, aka they never take responsibility. Again, I'm going to remind you for that definition. We're not taking, we're not asking people to take responsibility for everything. People are meant to, healthy people, let me back that up, healthy people take responsibility for the things that are within their power, control, or management, right? What's mine? What is mine to be responsible for? Not I'm being responsible for everybody and everything, right? Like, but there are absolutely the things that I need to be responsible for. And people that are in the victim role don't do that. They will not take responsibility for the things that, if all things being equal, they would absolutely be responsible for, 
Okay. All right. So if you are finding the things I'm doing in this podcast helpful, I'd like to invite you to check out my free workshop and signature program. Go to sarahmoralescoaching.com to learn more. I'll have the link in the notes. Dave, thank you again so much for being my guest today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Yay, we might have him back, y'all. So just, you know, be 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 alerted or I don't know, encouraged <laughs> that we will likely have Dave back at some honestly, point in time. N- honestly, not all men are assholes. They're really not. <laughs> right? I love it. I love it. I've so enjoyed having you on today. And thank you, my listener, for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. And once again, the anthem of this podcast, not today. We got stars in our eyes like diamonds. We got heart in the fuel to light it. Yeah, we burn it up. We got all the magic shout out if you have it. Yeah, we go with the Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, not too